0: Number eight storm singer will stay in place before noon as Typhoon Kompusu continues to affect Hong Kong. He says gales are prevailing over parts of the territory. Senior scientific officer Li Shugming says as winds gradually turn, places which have previously been sheltered will become more exposed.
1: Rain bands associated with Kompasu are affecting the coast of the Pearl River estuary. Heavy rain brought by Kompasu may lead to flooding in low-lying areas. As to the rainfall distribution, over parts of the territory, over 20 millimeters of rainfall were recorded so far. Members of the public should continue to take precautions against flooding. Seas will be rough with swells, so members of the public should stay away from the shoreline and not to engage in water sports.
0: The International Monetary Fund has warned the recovery from the pandemic is faltering, with developing economies suffering more than others. It says their prospects have been hit by low vaccination rates and rising food and commodity prices. Here's the IMF's chief economist, Geeta Gopinath.
2: The outlook for low-income developing countries has taken a turn for the worse due to worsening pandemic dynamics. The downgrade also reflects more difficult near-term prospects for the advanced economy group, in part due to supply disruptions.
0: The British government minister responsible for overseeing the Brexit agreement has proposed replacing the arrangements made with the European Union regarding Northern Ireland with an entirely new protocol. David Frost said Britain wanted international arbitration to replace the oversight role of the EU's top court. Brussels says that only the top court can be the final interpreter of EU law. Mr Frost warned that the issue should be resolved. We have a short, a real opportunity to put in place a new arrangement to diffuse the political crisis that is brewing, both in Northern Ireland and between us. If we can work on that, then of course other things become possible too. Other significant problems in the relationship of interest to both sides might become resolvable. Britain and the EU have repeatedly clashed over the implementation of the protocol. The Democratic-controlled US House of Representatives has given final approval to a Senate-passed bill temporarily raising the government's borrowing limit to 28.9 trillion U.S. dollars the move postpones the risk of default until early December. The vote was passed 219 to 206. President Joe Biden is expected to sign the measure into law this week. And pro-Iranian Shia political parties and militias in Iraq have dismissed initial election results in this week's parliamentary election as a fabrication. Fatah Alliance performed badly in the poll and has lost out to its rival Shia group led by Muqtada al-Sadr. And that's the news from RTHK.
3: Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and owing to the typhoon signal number eight, there's no co-host this morning. But we do have uh, several guests uh, on the phone to talk about our main topic and that is uh, COVID-19 worldwide and later on uh, we'll be talking about uh, what else but the weather. In our region, Singapore has announced that it'll be allowing visitors from a number of countries to enter quarantine-free, despite a recent increase in COVID-19 infections, as the Lion City presses on with developing its policy of living with the virus. Australia and New Zealand are also looking to do the same, while Thailand plans to reopen to vaccinated tourists from countries regarded as low-risk, including uh, China, the US, the UK and Germany. That's from uh, November. Meanwhile, the Health Secretary, Sophia Chan, has announced that Hong Kong will donate 7.5 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine to COVAX, the global vaccine-sharing programme. And after 9.15, we're talking typhoons as Hong Kong deals with the second T8 signal of the week with tropical storm Compassu. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on two double three double 266. Joining us now... On the line uh, we have uh, Paul Tambaya who's President of the Asia Pacific Society of Clinical Microbiology and Infection in uh, Singapore and also another guest from Singapore, uh, Dale Fisher Senior Consultant of uh, Infectious Diseases at the National University Hospital and uh, Chair of the Global Outbreak Alert and Response Network for the World Health Organisation and on the phone as well we have uh, uh, professor Roberto Brutsoni, who's a uh, visiting professor and co-director of the Hong Kong U Pastor Research Poll at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Um, uh, perhaps uh, Paul Tambaya first. Uh, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? you. Uh, uh, Fine, thank you, Uh, and thank you for joining us. Um, Yeah, uh, Singapore, very interesting case. Uh, uh, I guess, uh, you know, all eyes on Singapore, how it's uh, dealing with the virus situation, um, opening up to uh, travel from overseas, but uh, also still enforcing um, some social distancing measures to try to keep the uh, virus spread under control. Um, uh, How is Singapore doing so far?
2: Well, you know, this is a very challenging situation right now because uh, we're making the transition from a, a zero-COVID strategy to a strategy of living with the virus. Um, and, and we've decided not to do a dramatic Freedom Day kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, it's it, it's very difficult to, to try and open up, obviously, for business, for, you know, commercial travelers, while at the same time, you know, we, we don't even allow three people to go out and dine at a restaurant. So um, I think the the policymakers are kind of finding their way.
3: And how are these measures being accepted by the public?
2: Yeah, so the public are a little bit confused. And I think, um, you know, the, the policymakers are sort of, in a way, um, responding to that. Like, for example, um, over the weekend, they announced that unvaccinated individuals would not be allowed into malls. Um, and then, you know, that was... That was a huge blow to to the malls and to many of the individuals. Uh, I understand the rationale for that. You know, they're trying to ramp up the vaccination because we still have a significant number of unvaccinated seniors. But logistically, that was going to be hugely challenging. So what they did was they delayed the implement- implementation for a week. And then now they put in certain caveats, like you can go if your kid is going to a childcare center in a mall or you need to get a medical uh, clinic visit in a mall. So, so I think, um, you know, they are feeling their way around these things because it, it's very, very hard to in implement a, a blanket uh, lockdown or a pretty draconian measure uh, at this stage in the pandemic.
3: Now, Singapore has a full vaccination rate of 83 uh, percent, I believe, which is uh, pretty good by international standards. Uh, uh, how much confidence does that give to the authorities that, uh, you know, you can take these opening up measures?
2: Well, you know, this 83% includes the whole population, which includes children who are not eligible for vaccination. So our actual vaccination rate among adults is probably closer to 90%. And I think this does give the authorities confidence that, you know, we can relax. And and we probably should relax a lot of the restrictions. Because if people are going to get infected, the majority of them are are extremely mild. You know, the official data shows that 98% of people are either mild or asymptomatically infected. The concern is that for the small number of individuals who do get severely ill, uh, and these have been predominantly unvaccinated, although we've had a handful of people with two doses of vaccination who've ended up in ICU or who have died. And the concern is that that's going to put some pressure on the public health care system, which even at the best of times is stretched.
3: Mm. Okay, Uh, Dale Fisher, good morning to you. Also on the line uh, from Singapore, Um, yeah. So, well, the vaccination coverage is uh, is pretty good in Singapore. Um, What difference has that made to the sort of uh, you know the atmosphere, the 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 thinking of people there? I mean, there was a time when. Um, obviously, there was a great deal of concern about what might happen if he caught uh, COVID-19. Um, d- d- has, has it sort of changed the way? Pe- I mean, what I mean is, are, are people sort of mentally prepared for the concept of living with the virus? Uh,
4: I think, as, as Paul just mentioned, it's, um, it's difficult messaging uh, when you've gone for um, 21 months of saying this is an extremely deadly virus, um, we must do everything possible to prevent any spread, uh, contain, contain, contain. And, and now we're flipping it in a, in, a, in a post-vaccination sort of setting where we're saying, OK, we're now going to let it into the, the community. Uh, we want to keep a lid on it, but we don't, uh, we, we're not trying to, to, to bring it back to zero every time. In fact, when we're at 3,000, we're, we're somewhat relaxed as long as the hospitals don't get overwhelmed. And keeping a, a lid on it is is the hard bit. We're we're not having a freedom day. We just don't want to suddenly go to ten or twenty thousand cases in a day because that's when when hospitals can be overwhelmed. By even uh, even though it's a small percentage of people that are unvaccinated, they still represent uh, most of the cases because it's still hundreds of thousands of people. So so this this messaging is is the tough part. In in many ways, it'll be. A lot easier if we just hit Freedom Day, but of course that's uh, that's the risky uh, the risky approach. So, mm. so yeah, I I think the challenges in in the messaging and and the strategies.
3: Because Singapore is now having around uh, three thousand cases per day, so can the health system cope with that fairly comfortably?
4: Uh, I I wouldn't call it necessarily comfortable, but. Uh, We certainly can. Actually, most of the people in hospital still don't actually need to be there. Uh, And that's a legacy from our previous strategy, which is, um, I think, similar to Hong Kong's. We we don't let, if you have COVID, you you can't go home. You have Mm. to be in hospital or you have to be in an isolation, uh, community isolation facility. Um, And now we're telling people they can go home. And and yeah, some people are going home. Many people are going home now. with covid and isolating at home but uh but there's still over a thousand people in in hospitals across singapore that that don't need oxygen and and don't uh don't need a ventilator they're just uh there for for various other reasons
3: and how's that working out allowing people to go home to isolate i mean what about other family members who might be there
4: well it's all in the messaging isn't it it's um it's uh it it should be all right it's what most of the world has been doing for uh throughout the pandemic and, and you you try and isolate from from uh from vulnerable people at home so uh but it's challenging we don't have the, the quarter acre blocks like in in the u s or or much of europe or australia we have uh have a lot of a uh, high density
3: living like like Hong Kong, so mm-hmm. it, it is another one of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, do Do you have any uh, mass uh, quarantine centres in Singapore?
4: Um, in, you mean quarantine?
3: Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, where to, y- Yes, sorry, yeah, kind of perhaps mixing a couple of things up here, but uh, <laughs> but but if, um, um, yeah, okay. So if somebody has the virus, then um, then at the moment uh, they stay in hospital until it's decided that it's okay for them to go home to self-isolate, is that how it works?
4: No, well there's a combination of strategies which again as Paul was saying can add to the confusion as you start to um, explain the various strategies but if someone is, uh, is positive on home testing but they're asymptomatic then they're just advised to, to stay home and have another test in three days if they test positive on PCR, then they can be streamed in, in one of three directions. One is home recovery on uh, the GP or, or primary care or hospital can decide this. Uh, home, home recovery uh, or uh, a community uh, treatment facility. So, so this is probably the closest you're talking about with your community facilities. And these are people that, that can't go home but don't need hospital. Uh, and then a small percentage, will be sent to the hospital because they're, they're deemed at risk, whether that's through not being vaccinated or elderly or or comorbidities. So, so they're streamed in three directions. Mm.
3: OK. Well, we also have with us uh, Professor Roberto bruzzoni who's a visiting professor at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning to you. Good morning. So, um, as uh, mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, uh, Singapore is a very interesting case. Uh, uh, Lots of uh, other countries will be watching very closely what happens there. Um, What do you think uh, are the lessons to be learned uh, from the Singapore approach so far?
5: Well, it seems that the the most important lesson is the uh, the statement, the realization that uh, the coronavirus uh, uh, that is causing COVID-19 is here to stay in the long run for many, many, many years despite the very high rate of vaccination, for the issues that uh, uh, all our colleagues, uh, Paul and Dale, were mentioning, everybody has mentioned, that now most cases are asymptomatic or very mildly symptomatic, and therefore the virus can circulate freely in the community. So this is the important message, and it is a difficult message to sell, to present now to citizens, which in many countries of the world, have been perhaps lured into the uh, uh, idea that that the virus could be kept uh, outside of their lives uh, forever. So this is what is difficult, and the lesson that we can learn is that uh, this U-turn, even if it's done progressively and with many, you know, uh, uh, important uh, um, measures to explain the situation, is a difficult path what was mentioned before about, you know, being vaccinated or non-vaccinated and then not having access to malls and then all the uh, exemptions that, that that were immediately uh, uh, raised uh, shows that it's a, it's a very difficult path. So what Singapore is telling us now is that this is probably inevitable for all countries, all places where the idea of a zero COVID is still... Uh, uh, still uh, resist, uh, but it will take time. So I think that uh, it is very important uh, to monitor what
3: is happening there. And I'm very, you know, pleased to see that this is happening. Because, of course, here in Hong Kong, we're still living with a, a zero-COVID policy, also uh, in Macau, because the priority is uh, having the border with uh, mainland China opened, and uh, the mainland, of course, is keeping a, its own uh, zero-COVID uh, policy. Um, that may continue for quite some time, um, but, but you would think that um, eventually, eventually um, months later, a year or so later, that may have to change?
5: Well, this is what uh, we are uh, we are we are seeing because, again, I mean, even in a place like uh, Singapore, which uh, is to be commended, that uh, eligible 90% of the eligible citizens have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated. Still, there are several thousands of cases per day. Although 95% uh, uh, probably are not even symptomatic, and very few will need. Uh, to go to the hospital or oxygen or be in an ICU. so if if this situation now, which is a little bit an isolated community because travel is still quite restricted, has this type of circulation when not even three people can go out uh, eating together now imagine you know in, a, in, in some time where you know there will be some waning from vaccination, there will be new vaccination campaigns, et etc this virus is going to be around the world. So at some point, it's going to be up to China to decide uh, what they want to do and how they want to do it. But I don't think that you can uh, keep a uh, virus out of your borders.
3: Mm. Uh, I mean, it, uh, thinking about the size of uh, these different places, I mean, Singapore's population is, what, f- uh, 5 million, 6 million um, um, it yeah. must five and a half. And half a an beach, yeah, must yeah. make it relatively uh, easy to uh, to take uh, anti epidemic measures. that Slowly open up, if you like, and manage the process. I mean, in a country the size of China with one point four billion population. Yeah. I mean, if there was a major outbreak, uh, it could cause uh, huge problems, couldn't it? So, so the, the considerations must be different. Of course. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, w- so. Paul Tambaya, um, what so, so what, what's the prospect for further opening up uh, in Singapore? Is there a, a, any time frame yet? I mean, I mean um, okay, so uh, quarantine-free travel for visitors from certain places uh, in the world. Um, is that going to expand any time soon, would you think? Well,
2: I think so. I mean, they, they've rolled that out pretty quickly. It started with only two countries, with Germany and Brunei. And then they included South Korea. And then um, in a matter of days, they actually expanded it out to 11 countries. So I think they're going to see what happens with these uh, 11 countries. And if you don't see a spike in, uh, basically what they're really worried about is a new variant emerging. Um, And if we don't see a new variant emerging, we don't see a spike in imported cases, then um, I think that's going to give the authorities a lot more confidence to, to open up a bit more. Um, We are actually sort of midway through the current uh, round of restrictions, and they're supposed to be reviewed in a couple of weeks' time. And I think it's really difficult for them to to lift the restrictions when the numbers are rising. So if the numbers sort of plateau, then uh, hopefully we will be able to go out in the family of three to dine. Mm -hmm.
3: Okay, Uh, well, uh, stay with us. we're actually in Hong Kong. We're in the middle of a, a, a tropical cyclone. We have uh, a typhoon signal number eight, which means uh, that uh, uh, public transport is uh, is limited, uh, um, offices are closed and so on. Um, I've got some updates to read out. So uh, so please, uh, our back chat guests, uh, bear with me for a moment. Uh, this from the observatory uh, tropical cyclone warning bulletin. Um, uh, so the latest, uh, the number eight northeast or, storm signal is in force. Uh, this means winds with uh, speeds of 63 kilometers per hour or more are expected from the northeast quarter at 9 a.m. Typhoon Kompasu. Uh, we haven't quite got there yet, but uh, anyway, at 9 a.m., Typhoon Kompasu uh, will be centered about 370 kilometers uh, south southwest of Hong Kong. Uh, It's forecast to move west at about 25 kilometers per hour across the northern part of the South China Sea towards the vicinity of Hainan Island. And rain bands associated with Kompasu continue to affect the coast of Guangdong. Gales are prevailing over parts of the territory. As local winds will turn to the east gradually in the morning, places which have been sheltered before will become more exposed to the high winds. The gale or storm signal number 8 will remain in force before noon. Heavy rain brought by Kompasu may lead to flooding in low-lying areas. Members of the public should continue to take precautions against flooding. Seas will be rough with swells. Members of the public should stay away from the shoreline and not engage in water sports. Um, okay, uh, this from the Environmental Protection Department uh, announces that uh, owing to the typhoon, the South East New Territories landfill in Cheung is now closed until further notice. Um, and okay, the Trade and Industry Department announces that as Tropical Cyclone Warning Signal Number no. 8 has been issued, its public services have been suspended. The uh, TID's public services will resume progressively within two hours of the Number no. 8 signal being cancelled uh, before 3.30 p.m. Uh, the Transport Department says, uh, okay, uh, the following transport arrangements are now in force. The Lantau Link, the temporary speed limit arrangement, which was implemented before the Lantau Link is now cancelled. Tinkau Bridge, the temporary speed limit arrangement, implemented before in the Tinkow bridge is also cancelled stonecutters bridge uh, owing to strong winds at stage one temporary traffic arrangements are implemented on stonecutters bridge that means the middle lanes of the bridge are closed only fast and slow lanes are open to traffic speed limit is reduced to 50 kilometers an hour Uh, except vehicles with overall height not exceeding 1.6 meters uh, all vehicles, including motorcycles and motor tricycles, are prohibited from using Stonecutters Bridge, Nam One Tunnel, Kowloon bound. The slip roads from West Kowloon Highway and Container Port Road south to Stonecutters Bridge and the slip roads from Ching Road to Stonecutters Bridge and Nam One Tunnel are closed. Uh, affected motorists uh, travelling to/from Tunmun, Mun, Yuen Long, and Kowloon Sha Tin are uh, advised to use uh, Toon Mun Road and Chun Wan Road. Travelling to/from Lantau and Kowloon and Sha Tin are uh, advised to use uh, Cheung. Uh, sorry, the Ching and uh, Qinghuai Highway. Travelling to from Qingyi South and Kowloon Chushatin are advised to use the Qingyi Road, Ching Road, and uh, Qinghuai Highway. And travelling to and from Ching Highway and uh, Qingyi South are advised to use uh, Qingyi Road West and Qingyi Road or Qingyi Road West and uh, Qinghong Road and chingy road Um, members of the public are advised to watch out for the latest traffic news through radio and television broadcasts and for the traffic signs on site okay back to our topic uh, this morning we're talking about the international handling of uh, covid 19. Email here from uh, listener Alonzo says, uh, as your guest mentioned, Singapore recently announced rules which ban non-vaccinated individuals from entering malls and restaurants. Perhaps Hong Kong should consider similar restrictions as this might help to boost our flagging vaccination rate, which has stalled at 63.9% for fully vaccinated Hong Kongers. Um, uh, uh, Dale Fisher, um, uh, either you or Paul mentioned the uh, the vaccination rate in Singapore and the fact that um, a number of elderly people are still to take uh, the jab. Um, what's the situation there and what, what's being done to try to persuade them? Because we have a similar situation in here where uh, uh, actually a great many uh, older people are not yet vaccinated. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, a, a
4: little bit of a surprise to us. But if you look back in the, in the data that actually paused uh, as as you'd know, they were offered the vaccine first, the, the the seniors, and that did pause a couple of months into it. So so uh, I guess we could have picked it up earlier, but uh, I guess there was just an expectation that because they were the most vulnerable, they would move to the vaccine, but 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 they didn't. There was a uh, a, a variety of reasons, um, uh, most of them not good. Um, some, some were actually not mobile enough, and, and we've got mobile teams now which are doing a bit of a catch-up on on those that never kind of leave their, their apartment. Um, but some we, were simply afraid. They said, look, I've got high blood pressure and heart disease, so I don't want the vaccine, whereas, in fact, obviously, that's a, a better reason to have it. Um, there are some that like the... Um, the, I guess, more traditional vaccines, particularly the Chinese vaccines, rather than the mRNA vaccines, which which were the ones authorised in Singapore and rolled out first, so they didn't uh, warm to the new technology, as, as it would have liked. Um, so, so there are a number of reasons like that, and we're slowly um, getting there, particularly with the mobile campaigns and, and so messaging but, but it has been slow and of course the unvaccinated seniors are the ones making up the, the lion's share of
5: the mm. deaths and
3: the severe mm-hmm. disease. The, uh, the, the fact that uh, Singapore is adopting this policy of living with the vaccine um, which has seen a, an increase in the number of cases, does that serve as a motivation for older people to go and get jabbed? Well I think, <clears throat> I mean, I think people are, are
4: seeing it. Um, after months of warning, saying, "Look, the the COVID's coming. Uh, we we can't stay at, at zero forever. Um, it's just not a feasible strategy. So you'll either you'll either get the vaccine or you'll get the 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 virus. So so I think people are seeing it, and and the new measures, such as um, you know, you you can't go to to Hawker stalls, you can't go to malls. I think that's also going to to play a role of course the rules can come in because we're saying we want to protect the most vulnerable but it's obviously also a a a thinly veiled motivation to to tell people that your life's going to be very inconvenient if you don't get
3: vaccinated Mm -hmm. Uh, paul tambaya yeah is there still an emphasis there on trying to persuade older people to get vaccinated
2: Yep, as Dale pointed out, you know, we have teams going around. Uh, in fact, uh, a friend of mine is on uh, his military reservist service, and he was telling me the first week of the, the reservist service, he took his medics around uh, some of the housing estates to visit older people who had not been vaccinated and, and try and persuade them to get vaccinated. So so there is quite a bit of mobilisation that, that's going on. But, you know, some of these older people, they just have a very fatalistic approach, and they say, you know, if I get pneumonia and die, that's it, I don't really want to, you know, I don't really care or, um, and it, and it's very hard to deal with it because that's, that's sort of an Asian way of thinking and, uh, um, you know, we sort of have to, have to respect that, but at the same time, you know, then in that case, mobilize like community palliative care and, and, and stuff like that. So it's a very complicated issue. And you know, we we got, as Dale pointed out, we got a pretty high rate very quickly, but the last uh, five or ten percent of the seniors have been very difficult to reach. Mm.
3: OK, um, do get in touch with us. Uh, you can leave a message on our Facebook page, uh, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can give us a call on two double three double 266 uh, um, This morning, uh, just a reminder that the Typhoon 8 uh, signal uh, remains uh, in effect. I'll be bringing you some more uh, weather and transport and other updates uh, after the 9 o'clock news. Um, we've got to uh, break. For the news uh, in just a moment for three minutes. Uh, I think we have to say uh, thank you and uh, goodbye for now to Paul Tambaya, uh, who's president of the Asia Pacific Society of Clinical Microbiology. Uh, and infection. Our other guests uh, hopefully can stay with us uh, for a little bit longer after nine o'clock. Um, quick look at the weather: uh, strong to gale force northeasterly winds, uh, occasional storm force winds offshore and on high ground. Uh, the outlook: uh, there will be occasional showers in the next couple of days, becoming cooler over the weekend and early next week, with temperatures in the morning falling progressively. Currently, 26 degrees, 92% humidity. Number eight signal in effect, as is a thunderstorm morning.
1: Congressional action. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
3: And welcome back to Backchat uh, on this uh, typhoon morning with the number eight storm signal in effect. Uh, later on, in fact, we'll be talking uh, more about the weather, more about the uh, ty- late, late year typhoon uh, phenomenon. and um, But uh, before we get there, we're going to continue with our, our main topic, and that is on COVID-19 strategies uh, worldwide, because there have been a, a number of developments. Um, we have uh, still on the line with us uh, Dale Fisher, who's a senior consultant uh, of uh, infectious diseases at the National University Hospital in Singapore and uh, chair of the Global Outbreak Alert and Response Network of the World Health Organization and Professor Roberto Pruzzoni, visiting professor and co-director of the Hong Kong U Pasteur Research uh, Poll. Email here from uh, listener Mark says, uh, The World Health Organization says people aged over 60 who got the Chinese-made that Sinopharm or Sinovac COVID-19 vaccines should get a booster jab to ensure they remain fully protected from the virus. This is a very big problem for China and why Hong Kong and China borders remain effectively closed. Um, uh, Roberto Brutoni, uh, uh, how about that uh, um, is the virus situation going to require booster shots anytime soon? Anytime soon, I don't know. Clearly, the, the virus
5: is changing and circulating. That's what viruses do, or like influenza. Uh, as you know, there is a seasonal influenza, and there are seasonal vaccination campaigns for influenza. I don't know whether we will have seasonal, but certainly regular vaccinations also for coronavirus are possible because there will be a waning of the immunity, and uh, in particular people more vulnerable will require that. But that is again the same situation as is the case for influenza. Why we want people over a certain age to vaccinate is because in their case, if they get the infection, they may have more severe complications. That's mm. not different now, although the virus is more virulent in this case of, uh, of uh, the SARS coronavirus too. but it's more or less the same approach so uh, public health means that we need to have vaccinations available we need to have a campaign to inform citizens of what are the consequences and then people who are able to make competent decisions well if it's not mandatory vaccination they will make their decisions as it was said before you know some people may not want really to be protected at all times uh, at all costs about this if they're you know uh, they are in a certain you know stage of their lives where they they're not thinking you know in, in this way and we should respect that
3: mm-hmm. um influenza shots are uh, distributed uh annually right um yes. would, would that would, would you expect that would become the same for covid19
5: i would assume that uh, not uh, at the same scale that we have seen it uh this year with uh Five billion shots uh, being uh, uh, administered, I think, uh, in the first nine months of of two thousand twenty-one. But that uh, there will be probably uh, once that there is uh, the logistics aspect are solved and there is supply, that there will be the possibility for a certain number of people with priority, for example, to I don't know, health workers, uh, security, police, uh, teachers, etc have the possibility to have regular vaccinations i think that uh, you know you know we have now the vaccination campaign against flu uh, here in hong kong despite the fact that cases of flu i mean for the past one year and a half have been you know almost uh nil
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, dale fisher what's the situation there in singapore with booster shots
4: well um uh, I'm afraid that we've now allowed boosters uh, down to the age of 30. Um, so it started with with seniors, and, and then the age was dropping, and then healthcare workers. But now it's uh, it's pretty much uh, open slather. And I think I think there's some confusion over this. Um, I can see why governments want to preemptively get in just in case there is that escape, but. Uh, I think everyone identifies well that, that the vaccine is is not not very successful at stopping transmission, but but it remains successful at at stopping severe disease. So we just have to accept that what it is, and and if someone gets infected, then within three or four days that uh, that immune response is, is kicking in from previous vaccines. So, so severe disease is very uncommon. Um, I, I I personally would rather see boosters for the immune suppressed and, and for the elderly but, uh, but, but I think um, it, it would be more value sending that vaccine to the countries that don't have the vaccine or working harder on the unvaccinated rather than, uh, than, than doing boosters in, in all these 30 and 40 year olds that had it six months ago already.
3: Yeah. Um uh, I guess uh, like everybody's watching everywhere else to see uh, to see how they're handling the situation. Uh, um we've had the news as well that uh, Thailand uh, is opening up to tourists uh, from uh, a number of places including uh, China, uh, the United Kingdom, Germany and the US. Um although the vaccination rate in Thailand is only around a third isn't it of its seventy million population? Um, wh- wh- what do you think about that? Is that, is that a risky strategy?
4: Look, the borders served a role when when containment was uh, the strategy, uh, when keeping the virus out was 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 the plan, and and it was working. Um, uh, but but eventually, the the borders have to be opened. And and if your community spread inside the country is high anyway, so as I, as uh, as we've discussed Singapore before, we have three thousand cases a day in the community. But on a daily basis, the number diagnosed in incoming travellers is about ten per day. So it really makes no sense to have border restrictions when you've got that level of of community transmission anyway. So, so I think policies need to be continually reviewed and, and looked at to see if they still align with the strategy. So so it, it would depend on what's happening in Thailand in terms of your community transmission versus the benefits of border restrictions, because throughout the whole pandemic, we've had to, to balance the, the health and the social and the economic imperatives and 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 it's a moving target you have to keep looking at the strategy to see if it, if it still makes sense
3: OK, uh, we, we also had the news uh, yesterday that, uh, that Hong Kong is going to donate seven and a half million doses of uh, AstraZeneca vaccine uh, to COVAX. That's the global vaccine sharing programme. Those doses were secured by the uh, Hong Kong government, but they, they haven't been delivered yet. But they're going to be donated to COVAX because uh, it's thought that... Um, they're not needed because we've got uh, plenty of supplies of, uh, of uh, uh, other vaccines. We've got the BioNTech and the and Sinovac. Um, so, Roberto Brutoni, is that a good idea to give away, to donate these uh, the, the AstraZeneca vaccine to COVAX? Oh,
5: well, it's certainly it's, um, it's a good idea to help uh, distribute uh, vaccine doses uh, to countries uh, that need those because they have not been able to procure them in the first place for economic reasons. So uh, this is to be commended. I believe that uh, Hong Kong must have made their own uh, maths and calculations and found out that they had enough supply of vaccines. In addition, when we talk about vulnerable population, uh, perhaps more traditional, we have also, contrary to Singapore, the, uh, you know, uh, I take the uh, inactivated vaccine, which is a traditional way of making vaccine from China, and so this supply probably will continue in the future. And uh, I think that uh, you know this is uh, this is a perfectly reasonable uh, decision. Also, I understand that at the beginning there were a lot of. Uh, anxiety about this AstraZeneca vaccine for a few cases that had happened in the United Kingdom of uh, complications following the vaccination. Uh, So maybe that was also a consideration. But uh, overall, it is good that these doses are now made available to places, to countries, uh, where they are really badly needed.
3: The uh, WHO has been uh, very critical of developed nations for looking after themselves uh, first and uh, perhaps not paying so much attention to uh, less well-off countries. I mean, uh, 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 Dale Fisher, I mean, uh, are we in a situation where we're not going to be able to return to anything like uh, normality until the whole world has got uh, access to vaccines? I think
4: different countries are in different Phases. you're going to see some countries that that can re- return to somewhat of a, a normality but but you're quite right um, the, the the statement that uh, the pandemic's not over until it's over for everyone is is quite true because because countries with with high rates of transmission for instance can still uh, create new variants which can still um, ups, upset the work so so um, yeah, but but throughout the pandemic, everyone's had different uh, different phases, and 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 the truth is, is that those low low income countries that have not had access to vaccine are, are going to to exit uh, much more slowly
5: than than other countries.
3: Okay, a couple of more emails. Uh, Alonso writes uh, with the Hong Kong government now giving away our unused vaccinations to other to uh, other countries. Why doesn't Hong Kong begin? offering third-shot boosters to Hong Kong residents who want one. And uh, Vic writes, uh, can the experts give their opinion on giving booster shots en masse as against testing these uh, specific groups for antibodies and giving boosters uh, only to individuals who show low antibody levels? Um, is that, would that be a, a, a feasible approach, uh, Professor Brutzoni, to, um just giving them to people with well, low antibody levels? Low.
5: Yeah, people may have different, uh, different ideas on that, so I don't want also to add to a plethora of opinions. I don't think so. I think that antibodies are just one correlate of protection. They are not the only one. We have several arms in our immune system to react to viruses in general and to this coronavirus. And even the, uh, uh, um, the, the Chinese vaccine uh, gives a very strong stimulation of the so-called cellular immunity. So that's the way that our immune system you know, allows us to control an infection after vaccination. There are several you know, facets of this, of this response, and they're all quite good. So booster shot, again, I agree that at the moment it doesn't seem to be needed because most people with the vaccination they have very mild or asymptomatic cases. So I don't think that from a public health point of view, it's really something that I would recommend at the moment.
3: OK, uh, we'll, we'll have to wrap this up in a couple of minutes. But but uh, uh, another uh, email from a, a listener, Patrick, says, uh, here's my suggestion for the government. One, offer $10,000 at Hong Kong to all over 70s who have the vaccination, including those who've already had it. International evidence strongly suggests that the vaccines are very safe for the elderly. Two, vaccination units to visit all old persons' homes to offer vaccines on site. Three, announce now that... From 1st of January 2022, all vaccinated travellers from the mainland or anywhere else can benefit from quarantine-free travel to Hong Kong. No tests, no quarantine. Four. Roll out booster shots for those who want them. We need to get back to normal, and we need a timeline for doing so. Uh, Dale. I subscribe to two
5: and three. Number two uh, and number three.
3: Uh-huh. Yes,
5: they should go and visit elderly people and offer on-site. That would be very good
3: right okay uh uh, dale fisher what about um what about that what about incentives Uh, what what sort of incentives are offered to uh elderly people there in singapore to get vaccinated look i think it's all about carrots and sticks isn't it whether you um
4: reward people whether you um simply make it easy for people or or whether you make life uncomfortable for people that aren't vaccinated or whether you mandate it um it's a very Cultural thing. Um, uh, whether mandating would be accepted by a Hong Kong population is not for, for me to say. Whether whether cash rewards um, uh, are there, I'm I'm like the other speaker a little bit. It just doesn't seem right to 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 go around give, giving cash to everybody. It's, uh, it's like a, people need to realise that this is saving their lives potentially. So. Yeah, so I, I think it's uh, it has to be multi pronged. It's got to be education. It's
3: got to be ease of access. All this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Thank you both for for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was Dale Fisher, you, uh, you heard just there, a Senior Consultant for Infectious Diseases at the National University Hospital and Chair of the Global Outbreak Alert and Response Network uh, of the for the World Health Organisation. He's based in Singapore. And uh, thank you to Professor Roberto Brutzoni, who's a visiting professor and co-director of the Hong Kong University Pasteur Research Poll at the School of Public Health at Hong Kong U. Thanks. And before... Uh, Nine o'clock, we heard from Paul Tambaya, who's president of the Asia Pacific Society of Clinical Microbiology and Infection, uh, also in Singapore. Um, for the last uh, ten minutes or so of the program, we're going to be turning our attention to the weather, uh, because a reminder that the number eight signal is in effect. Um, and let's see, here's the latest uh, weather bulletin. Uh, from the observatory. So, uh, the Tropical Cyclone Warning Bulletin. Um, the number eight northeast gale or storm signal is in force. Uh, it means winds with mean speeds of 63 kilometers per hour or more are expected from the northeast quarter. At 9 a.m., Typhoon Kompasu was centered about 370 kilometers uh, south-southwest of Hong Kong and is forecast to move west at about 25 kilometers per hour across the northern part of the South China Sea towards the vicinity of Hainan Island. Rain bands associated with Kompasu continue to affect the coast of Guangdong. Gales are prevailing over parts of the territory as local winds will turn to the east gradually in the morning. Places which have been sheltered before will become more exposed to the high winds. The gale or storm... Sorry, the gale or storm signal number 8 will remain in force before noon. OK. Heavy rain brought by Compassu may lead to flooding in low-lying areas. Members of the public should continue to take precautions against flooding. Seas will be rough with swells. Members of the public should stay away from the shoreline and not engage in water sports. Right. Uh, so, uh, precautionary announcements associated with the number eight signal... Uh, complete all precautions in your home lock all windows and doors, insert reinforced shutters and gates if they're available drains should be cleared of leaves and rubbish as soon as possible do not stand near windows on the exposed side of your home, make sure you have a safe place to shelter should windows be broken owners of neon signs should switch off the electricity supply to the signs and please listen to radio or watch TV for the latest weather information broadcast you can also browse the Hong Kong Observatory's website and mobile app for more information now uh, we have on the line with us uh wing mo who's a former assistant director of the hong kong observatory good morning to you Good morning. Uh, thanks for uh, uh, sticking with us uh, during those uh, uh, typhoon updates. Uh, My pleasure. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a rather odd situation, isn't it? We we didn't have a typhoon 8 signal all year until now, and now we've had two in the space of three days, uh, and, and we're in the middle of October. Um, is, is this a very unusual year weather-wise?
6: Well, it is rare, but it, it, it happened before. I mean, similar situation happened before. Uh, if, um, if we're living in Hong Kong long enough, uh, well, actually not too long. Uh, in 2017, just four years ago, we had a number 10 signal because of super typhoon Hato, And then within less than four days, we have another number 8 signal. So things like this do happen. The thing is that um, the sea surface temperature over South China and also, of course, over the Western Pacific Ocean is still very, very warm, 29 degrees, 30 degrees. So these are favorable conditions for uh, tropical cyclones to, uh, to be given birth. And given the right conditions, uh, they might, uh, I mean, originate uh, in uh, uh, close by areas and uh, move to Hong Kong. And uh, we could have um, successive number of signals.
3: So it's quite possible that there could be more before, before the end of the year?
6: Um, I, I can't say that. It's very difficult to forecast that far ahead. But um, the point to notice is that because we are now well into autumn, uh, we are frequented by northeast monsoon. So even though if there is going to be a tropical cyclone somewhere in our vicinity, it's not going to be very, very close to Hong Kong because the northeast monsoon would prevent any tropical cyclone coming close to Hong Kong. So probably number eight typhoon signal is the, the, the worst that we can get out of um, late season typhoons.
3: I see. So the northeast monsoon would in effect what blow the typhoon further south, uh, right, away, uh, away from Hong Kong?
6: Yeah, that is, that is one effect of the northeast monsoon. And the other effect of the northeast monsoon, just like the case of Kampasu uh, right now, is that uh, the relatively dry northeast monsoon uh, intrude into the circulation of Kampasu and so that the rain bands in the northern section of the storm was very much weakened. That is one of the reasons why... Uh, the rain we had last night and also right now is not as heavy as we have a couple of days ago in, during the Lion Rock situation.
3: Mm. The, the Lion Rock situation was quite strange as well wasn't it because it was a long way away from Hong Kong it was, it it was like five, 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 500 kilometers away and yet, and yet yes. uh, we had a massive amount of rain and, uh, and the number eight signal was up for a long time.
6: Yes, it is. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, the most exceptional storm as far as uh, typhoon signals are concerned. Uh, One of the reasons is that the the northeast monsoon was manifested in a different way compared with the Kampasu we are experiencing now. Right now, the northeast monsoon is basically northerly airstream, but in the case of Lion Rock, it's basically uh, easterly airstream. East of the airstreams are, well, airstream, both of them are northeast monsoon, but the air airstream actually come all the way through the Taiwan Strait uh, without any uh, unrestricted, and so uh, the wind speed generated by that northeast monsoon is generally pretty strong. And the other thing uh, is that uh, we have very severe rain bands uh, given us uh, uh, heavy rainfall. Now, the thing is that uh, when we have heavy rainfall, it will give rise to strong squalls, and that will be superimposed on the on the uh, on the uh, original uh, 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 strong wind. So that is is another factor for uh, the wind speed to pick up even further. Mm.
3: You mentioned the uh, sea surface temperature uh, earlier. Um, how much of a factor is uh, global warming? In uh, the you know the, the the strength and frequency of typhoons that we're seeing.
6: Well, that's a good question. Uh, actually, quite a number of people ask ask me uh, the fact that uh, we have two number eight signals within a span of three days. Is it is it a, a manifestation of uh, global warming or climate change? Uh, the simple answer is no. Um, uh, the formation and the movements and the intensification of tropical cyclones are very complex. One of the major factors is, of course, the sea surface temperature, because it's where the energy of the typhoons are coming from. But this is not the only factor. We have to consider other factors, which are, for example, the stability of the atmosphere, for example, the supply of moisture, for example, the steering uh, currents, which is the large-scale uh, uh, air current which drive the, the typhoon from one place to another. So, we, uh, I mean, uh, formation of typhoons and the subsequent development depends on a number of factors. So, to put the, the, the answer simply, uh, we are not going to see as many typhoons as in the past, actually under the, the situation of climate change, we are going to perhaps see less typhoons. But when typhoons were to, uh, to, to be developed, it, it is very likely that they will be stronger than before. Mm. It will bring more rainfall than before. And the, the stage of maturity of a typhoon will stay longer. So, so to sum up, we might not see as many typhoons as before, but if a typhoon were to come, it could inflict even more damage than we have ever seen
3: before. So this uh, complexity in the d- development of typhoons, does that make it more difficult for the observatory to uh, issue its forecasts?
6: Well, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not really um, uh, making the forecasting more difficult in the general sense because um, forecasting of typhoons um, actually differs one from another. For example, the case of Line Rock is a very tricky typhoon or, or tropical cyclone. But in the case of Kampasu, it's basically more straightforward. So, so different typhoons behave very differently. Uh, generally speaking, I don't think for, uh, it will cause a forecasting problem. Uh, rather, uh, I think it's, it's a matter of adaptation mitigation because we are going to face stronger typhoons. So it's uh, very important that we as the population in Hong Kong and also the, go- and also the government has to do a lot of things to prevent um, significant damage or, or, or killing of people, the people lo- losing their life in the future because we are going to face even more stronger typhoons in the future.
3: Right, so th- so that means members of the public will have to be uh, more vigilant, perhaps than they than they are now. Even
6: yes, yeah, more vigilant and also more knowledgeable. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I noticed a lot of discussions about typhoons these days. Uh, it, it appears to me that um, a lot of people are still not fully aware of the potential damage of typhoons and other extreme weather events in Hong Kong. So we have to be prepared for extreme weather, and uh, that ha- that means that we have to. Uh, somehow spend more time in familiarizing uh, this kind of uh, natural weather phenomenon.
3: Okay, well, uh, thank you very much for for sharing your thoughts and uh, knowledge and experience with us. Uh, uh, That was uh, Leung Wing Mo there, uh, former assistant director of the Hong Kong Observatory. Um, A reminder that the number eight uh, northeast gale or storm warning signal uh, is in effect and the thunderstorm warning is also in effect and will remain so until 11 o'clock today. Uh, The forecast says uh, strong to gale force north easterly winds Uh, occasional storm force winds uh, offshore and on high ground becoming easterlies in the morning, moderating gradually at night, cloudy with squally showers and thunderstorms Uh, showers will be heavy at times the top temperature will be around 26 degrees, seas will be rough with swells, the outer Look, there will still be occasional showers in the next couple of days becoming cooler over the weekend and early next week with temperatures in the morning falling progressively. Currently, it's uh, 27 degrees, humidity 90 percent. As mentioned, the number eight northeast gale or storm signal is in effect and the thunderstorm warning will remain in effect until 11 o'clock today. Um, Hold on for a news summary after this public announcement and then there will be um, a special uh, program this morning uh, to replace Morning Brew. When using elderly healthcare vouchers, remember to ask about healthcare service fees first. Using vouchers should not affect the service fees. Before signing the consent form
1: for using vouchers, always check the details, including your personal information and the voucher amount to be deducted. Also, leave your contact number so that the Department of Health can verify your use of vouchers when needed. Remember to make good use of healthcare care vouchers. The new
3: summary with Vicki Wong.
1: The observatory says the number 8 storm signal will stay in place before noon as typhoon Kampasu continues to affect Hong Kong. It says gales are prevailing over parts of the territory. Senior scientific officer Li Shukming says as winds gradually turn, places which have been previously sheltered will become more exposed. A weather expert says it's relatively easy to predict the track of Kampasu compared to the storm that hit Hong Kong last week. Leung-Wing Mo, the spokesman of the Hong Kong Meteorological Society, told an RTHK programme that this was because the environment surrounding Kompasu was stable, with the typhoon moving stably from west to east. He said the observatory should have more confidence this time round in making forecasts. The observatory came under criticism last week when the city was hit by tropical cyclone Lion Rock after it changed its prediction. And an expert panel in the United States has reassessed the low-dose benefits of aspirin for people over 60 who take it daily in the hope of staving off heart attacks and strokes. The U.S. Preventative Services Task Force says new evidence indicates that the potential benefits are outweighed by an increased risk of internal bleeding. I'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock.
7: Your name is? Uh, uh, them hosts keep on talking. Uh, uh, they like the way I'm walking. Uh, uh, you're saying that you want me. So press the cord and let you film me. So video, follow, video. The pants hanging woman low. Everything you say is something good to me, don't need to convince me anymore. Wag up is right, one blade is tight, and the smell Honey, baby, you're so sexy that you should win an Oscar. And when you miss me, just remember that I always got you with me. Oh, I'll be your genie you'll be my brand oh. I'ma put you in my movie if you think that you can handle. Oh. I know you like that. Even through the far, I got it like this. Baby, don't fight it. 'Cause when I miss
1: your call, I hit you right back.